0: Welcome back to Talking Guitar, brought to you by the Carter Vintage Exchange and the North American Guitar in Nashville, Tennessee. Lindsay here, and this time I'm chatting with Kansas luthier Leo Posh, a banjo player turned guitar builder whose instruments strike a perfect balance between vintage-inspired and contemporary and customized. Leo may say that he does the quote-unquote ordinary things when it comes to his guitars, but having served his time as a repair tech at Mastery Music, he's seen all the ways instruments can go wrong, so his commitment to classic techniques is well-earned, and the results prove their merit. But while in many ways he's a very traditional builder who prefers a simple look that doesn't distract from the music, Leo doesn't shy away from challenges. He also builds mandolin family instruments, arch chops and banjos, he offers beautiful custom inlays, and incorporates modern features like fan frets and sound ports into his classic guitar designs. As usual, though this was a Zoom interview, I've spliced in lots of photos for our YouTube viewers. Whether you're watching or just listening, please enjoy my chat with Leo Posh. Well, Leo, thank you so much for taking some time today to chat with me for the Talking Guitar Podcast. I'm excited to have you on because we've had a few of your guitars come through the shop and they've all been awesome. As somebody who loves Collings and Martin, um, you you know, your guitars seem to be kind of in a similar vein, but they also have their own thing going on. They've got like a really nice warm tone and they've always just been so much fun to play. And so... I was really excited when you added some more self from workshop listings to, to the web. And, um, and yeah, I'm just really excited to learn more about your background and to introduce you more to folks who watch our channels.
1: Well, great. I am, I am just really honored to be included in this uh, amazing um, group of people that, you know, are, are building guitars today. It's, it's so amazing to me. Um what is going on right now in in the, the, all the, you know, just guitar building, mandolin building, all the people are just doing amazing stuff. So I just feel like um, I'm just kind of watching from the sidelines and, you know, doing my own tiny little thing. And and, uh, and hopefully I'll get noticed a little bit. So great.
0: Yeah. Starting off with your background and and learning more about how you got started and, and what the path has been like for you.
1: My background is is basically that I've always, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to play music. I I don't know. I mean, I I can't remember a time when I didn't want to play music. Um, nowadays, it seems like I don't want to play music as much <laughs> as 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 I used to, but I, it's still there. Um, and, and I've also been a person who's always been extremely interested in how things work. You know, um, like when I was a kid, I can remember taking my bicycle apart and seeing <laughs> how does this thing affect that? And how does, you know, how does it all go together and make a bicycle, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I, st- when I did finally start playing guitar, um, the things that I could afford were cheap garage sale guitars you know so i kind of kind of messed around with them some and um then i got i got uh i heard some banjo music well young those banjo music um like on tv you know uh i was a big fan of hee-haw uh i don't know if you are familiar with that show or know anything about it but it was you know terrible show really you know especially <laughs> if, you, if you look at it today and and go back i mean the <laughs> very very non politically correct but um there's amazing musicians on that show you mm-hmm. know roy clark i can't even think think. buck owens right um, i mean uh i can't think of this name another banjo player so many banjo players and i got really drawn into um the banjo and i and i just really i had to learn to play banjo so now we're getting away from guitar but i that's how i started Mm -hmm. i started as a banjo player um and i took some banjo lessons at a local music store and the local music store offered me a um an apprenticeship there but. Well, that's that's pretty cool. So I did that, and when I was in high school, and um, I loved it because you know now I'm taking apart guitars <laughs> <laughs> and seeing how they work, and taking apart banjos and seeing how they work, and um, being a young kid and, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I wanted a better banjo than what I had. It was a Gibson RB 250 from the 70s. You know, almost any instrument from any company in the 70s was pretty crappy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best I mean, era, I feel like. What's that? It's not known for being the best era.
1: <laughs> no, it's the 70s were pretty, pretty terrible, the 70s and 80s. Um, anyway, so I wanted to um I wanted to I decided I was gonna make my own banjo. Awesome. And you know, you could get some pretty good banjo parts. Uh, mail order and if if you remember what mail order is get your catalog in the mail and you know you send off your check and for the this part and that part and wait you know several weeks and get it (laughs) like today's instant yeah (laughs) gratification but anyway so I built that my first banjo in 1980 and I really enjoyed the whole thing you know um a coworker gave me a piece of mahogany. That you know, with banjos, it's a lot of bolt together parts. Mm. But um, a coworker gave me this piece of mahogany. He said, "Here, this this would make you a great banjo neck." And so, I learned to carve, you know, a neck, and I loved it. Carving <laughs> wood was was so fun. And then I um, did some pretty intricate inlays on it um spent a lot of late late nights um, working on the inlay and um i really enjoyed that you know just fine-tune and focus in um my my playing field is about you know an inch square and i'm in this little zone is extremely enjoying it <laughs> um, so so that was that was when I was a senior in high school 1980. I continued working in music stores. Uh, when I graduated high school, I I learned repair, you know, guitar repair, instrument repair by doing it. But I really started trying to focus on trying to do the best work that I could, but also focusing on communicating with my clients because it seemed like I was learning something from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, every person who would tell me, well, I need, I need my action to be such and such because of this and that, because I play like this or what, you know, and I'd watch them play and listen to them play and say, okay, here's what we need to do. And, and, and I really liked focusing in on that, the person, personal aspect of it as well, uh, as, as the functional, you know, um, how do how do we make it work? But how do we make it work for you, or mm-hmm. whatever this particular person wants? That that I really I, I really did enjoy that a lot. And and so I worked in music stores until I, I think I quit working in a music store in uh, two thousand. I worked, I had worked at Mass Street Music in Lawrence, Kansas for
0: oh okay uh,
1: for I think it was fourteen years when I quit there. Is how long I had worked there. It was intense. It was intense work because when I first started working there, when I first started, Jim's backlog was huge. <laughs> it was, I mean because he was he was basically the only one doing it, and you know he would have helpers occasionally, but no one who was really regular and really into it, you know and and that's what I was. I came in, and so you know we started really working on that backlog of repairs and really whittling it down and and you know pleasing trying to get all of our customers happy and um that was one thing that was uh really a big focus was trying to to really get the customers um to be happy with the work you know mm-hmm. and and to do as as the best work we could possibly do. And uh I learned a lot from Jim and and all through that time, I'd always had in the back of my head, because Jim, when Jim got his start, he actually worked for a small guitar builder in Kansas City. And he had built, I don't know how many guitars he had built, but he had a guitar there at the store that he had started building, but it had never it had never progressed beyond. I, I think the body was together, but never been finished, you know, never been gotcha. really put together. So always in the back of my mind, I had, it would really be fun to build a guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I built, and I built myself more, a few more banjos along the way, but I never did. I never really did get into guitar building at that period. Like this is the, um, say the mid nineties, there weren't, there weren't that many things to choose from, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that really, that really, uh, Got my interest really high until Jim came back from a guitar show once with um, a Collins guitar.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Whoa, (laughs) this—that actually—it—it sounds incredible. You know, this is this is something that's amazing, Um, and this you know small shop in Austin is building these incredible guitars, and so um, I actually ended up buying a, a mahogany OM the Collings. And, uh, I still have that guitar and that's, it's an amazing guitar. So back to the, back in my head, in the back of my head, you know, wanting to build a guitar. And then there, here's these Collings guitars. Well, man, that's an amazing sound. I don't think I could ever build anything that is at that level. Mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. You know, I actually got to meet Bill Collings a few years later and what a genius. He yeah. Was. I'm oh my gosh, <laughs> incredible genius, and uh, the the way he had, and not only his genius, but the way he had taught all the people who worked for him to to look at stuff and uh, to really fine hone their vision to to notice all the, all this stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, I'm kind of going uh, off. <laughs>
0: No, it's true. Cause I, like, I mean, like Collins is still making such incredible guitars. So that's such a testament to how great Bill was that he was able to yeah. pass that on to just this whole great team. So
1: yeah, yeah. I know I know. it's, it's still, whenever I think of him, I, I I'm just so amazed at his, how he you even start something like that? It's just yeah. it blows my mind, you know, my style is more, you know, I, I'm just single mm-hmm. work, work by myself. Uh, um type of thing but so anyway when I did finally leave um Mass Street Music I still I worked here when my my wife and I built our house uh, we built it in 1988 and I had a small wood shop downstairs which is to my right here but oh, cool. um, not long after after we had been after I had moved my shop here it was like it became way too small really quickly (laughs) um because of what I was doing it was just like there wasn't enough room and so we decided that we were going to have to add on so we added on the 16 by 24 I think space up and down Mm. but we did we once again we did all the work on um I'm I'm if you haven't figured that out I'm kind of a very do-it-yourself guy I mean i I love doing everything: <laughs> so, plumbing, electrical, uh, woodworking, um, other stuff, and uh,
2: That's
1: now awesome. I've been, I'm I'm even getting into. I taught myself welding last summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm wow. restoring an old truck. More stuff that I love to do. So anyway, we had built this our new addition here, and so I had you know very happy clients coming in a lot of clients. I was working a lot and um, I had this one client one day who's kind of almost like an uncle or almost a father figure to me, um, Roger. I did a lot of, you know, real fine tuned stuff for him. Well, he had Parkinson's and it had gotten gradually worse as I, as as along as I knew him. One time he was here, and we, we had to fine tune stuff really, really delicately for him because of his Parkinson's. But anyway, at the end of of what when I had done some adjusting for him, he was talking about wanting to get a new guitar. He really wanted a new guitar, and he wanted this, and he wanted that. And so-and-so had a guitar like this, but it, but it didn't have that. And and this, so-and-so had this, but it didn't have that. And he was going on and on and on about it. I said, Roger why didn't you just let me build a guitar <laughs> and practically before the words were out of my mouth he said yes let's do it <laughs> so so wow okay now i've really committed myself now I've got to do it. so before i knew it um roger had a lot of influence in in the um what was there there was uh some of those online guitar forums you know and Uh, before I knew it I had a list a waiting list of oh that's great I know it was crazy
0: yeah
1: you know I haven't even built any guitars and I've already (laughs) got a waiting list this is insane (laughs) Well, anyway that was in 2006 so I built my first guitar in 2006 I think it was last summer I finished up number 150
0: wow wow that's a lot like in that time span
1: well I know it seems like it if you if you just think about but if you average it out i guess it averaged out to like 10 or eleven guitars a year
0: yeah um, yeah i guess that's true
1: yeah there's a lot of other stuff i'm doing too so i'm saying okay well that's i guess that's not that's not too bad mm-hmm. because i do have i have a lot of interest in you know, all kinds of stuff so it's just it's uh it's been kind of crazy so yeah there, there's the the short the long short story
2: <laughs> so, so. There-
0: I think I saw on your website. So have you still been building banjos that whole time? Or do you primarily build guitars at this point?
1: Well, the market is mostly for guitar. Right. Uh, I'm really interested in, you know, banjo is my main instrument. That's mm-hmm. that, that's what I play. I love bluegrass and old time. But a banjo is, it's another it's another one of those things like it's in the back of my mind. But if I wanted to really do it right, you know, I'd get into casting the machining. I, I actually... Mm-hmm. In machining for a long time, I worked at a machine shop for a year, uh, a really high tolerance teach, uh, machine shop, and learned uh, the basics of you know, lathe work and mill work. Uh, this was right before CNC. But anyway, so the machining I could do on banjo, but the casting of the parts and stuff, I don't know if I want to do that.
2: Right, I, that makes sense. I'm interested.
1: I'm really interested in it, but I don't know if if that's something I want to do. Mm -hmm. but so to answer your question i have built some banjos i it's mostly the banjo work that i've done has been building um uh, conversion necks okay you know i I don't know if you're how much familiarity you have with uh, vintage banjos but the sought after gibson's of the 30s many of them were tenors or plectrums Mm -hmm. and so they're the big thing is to convert them to five string, which is the Gotcha. Name. So I've done quite a bit of that. Not as probably not as much as I'd kind of like to, but that's a really specialized. You really have to get your name out there for those. Anyway, anyway, we won't go there. We're talking guitars, not banjos. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's related. We'll, we'll stick with that. Yeah, yeah. They are. Oh, they're very related. Yeah. In any case, okay. it's
0: mostly guitar focus for you.
1: Yeah, most, it, most of the time be, because that's. That's yeah. That's what I have the most interest in, as far as customer interest. So, mm-hmm.
0: as far as your own building, um, I, I assume you probably draw a lot on your experience doing repairs with mastery, and that probably informs a lot of your decisions. And and, and like you can right. kind of see, there's like classic OMs and dreadnoughts, and that that sort of style. Like, do you what other kind of influences or, or like teachers have you sort of pulled into your into like your approach to building?
1: My approach, I guess, is kind of I'm open to whatever. Um, I've experimented some with um multi-scale instruments mm-hmm. and um I really like that for certain things. It's it's fun. I, I built one, I think I built it right alongside number 150. It was like number 153 or something like that. There's a multi-scale OM. Cool. But it's so I love experimenting with different stuff like that. Um uh, octave mandolins and and uh octomandolins in a guitar body a mm. small guitar body you know like a uh, like an l double o body but with an octave mandolin with a multi scale neck and I've done a few of those um and i really I like that instrument interesting it's, I, yeah, yeah. It's fun so it's it's kind of a different sonic thing but it's 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 fun to play mm-hmm.
2: um
0: yeah, not a lot of folks are doing stuff like that. I've, a friend of mine just got. Um, well, he had bought a Lawrence Smart, multi-scale. I think it, probably mandola. I think mandola mm-hmm. or octave mandolin, and then he commissioned a one from Filed, um, a cittern actually. But, oh, okay. um, yeah. but yeah, it's like you don't see a lot of folks doing the multi-scale thing on mandolin family instruments.
1: Right. It, it, I guess it's a little out of the ordinary, but it, it seems to work. Yeah. So, definitely. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess kind of digging digging more into um, into your approach with building, um, in terms of bracing and, and things like that and construction techniques, are you are you like a hide glue, X-brace kind of person? Um, or do you do anything else kind of out of the ordinary there?
1: I'm very ordinary.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it works. <laughs> give
1: me an X-brace and give me hide glue. I, I guess I really do tend toward the traditional, even when I'm doing more a more modern instrument, I tend toward the traditional innards. I mean, my bracing, if you look at my bracing, it's a little bit different from you know, the standard Martin bracing. It's kind of, the shape is a little bit different, but, but the layout is pretty much very, very similar. Um, I mean, as close as you can get when you're studying instruments, you know, that can vary, you know, greatly from in the same model. Well, I mean, Martins doesn't vary a whole lot, but you know, Gibsons, if you look at the variations there, are, are pretty wide ranging. But anyway, the traditional layout style of bracing, that seems to work for what I want to do. I, I'm I'm really happy with that pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's some tweaking here and there. But another thing I want to point out is when you've done repair, as long as I have, you see the great guitars, you see all this great stuff, but you also see the stuff. It doesn't work. Right. <laughs> Experiment experiments gone bad, and I really don't want to go there. You know that's something <laughs> I want to stay away from. So I try to stay, I guess, a little bit in safer waters there. Mm-hmm. Although I have a, I have a pretty good idea of what's safe and what's not. But but I'm a very traditional. I mean, if you look at my instruments, you know, just looking at the the outside of them, it kind of screams. Well, this guy's you know very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 truck I'm restoring is it's a 54 Chevy pickup, you know so <laughs> going back to traditional with that too. so <laughs> I'm kind of the grumpy old guy, the grumpy old hermit in his in his home shop away from everybody <laughs> doing his own doing his, uh, you know traditional little thing
0: with your bracing, do you scallop or do you generally go for more of a straight bracing kind of like more Gibson style?
1: It's definitely scalloped. Mm-hmm. It, okay. It's a different, the different scallop shape profile than than the Martin traditional one. But once again, coming from a repair background, I I'm have so many visions of uh, distorted tops in my memory. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's something that I really flexibility is good. A certain amount of flexibility is good, but you just got to, there's a fine line, you know, you've got to mm-hmm. be careful of how far to go. So, so I, I've, I've changed that the way I do it a little bit compared, but I mean, it's similar.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's a system that works and it's like, why not start with something that, yeah, especially with your experience of having seen so many Experiments gone wrong. It's like, yeah, go with what works and then (laughs) take, you know, adjust it for yourself. Do you delve much into like trying to adjust the bracing to like get a certain sound for particular clients? Or do you kind of have like, well, this is like your approach and it it, like people kind of come to you knowing that they're going to get a certain sound. And so you just kind of go with that.
1: When people see a certain guitar shape, they kind of expect a certain sound. Mm -hmm. My goal has always been to get the best. Of that sound from from the given, so we've got mahogany and red red spruce top. Say, get the the ultimate sound from that combination. You know, so if we're doing an OM in mahogany red spruce, let's get rid of all the unnecessary wood. That's kind of my one of my main goals is let's get rid of all the unnecessary wood. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you do that, you know, you come up with a an amazing sounding OM. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, or dreadnought, or whatever you know, trying to do the best with it within the limitations of that, or not limitations, but within the expectations of that instrument. You know, how can we make it sound the absolute best, Mm -hmm. get the most response? The, I guess, the thing that that's always blown me away about the, you know, the 30s guitars, Gibson and Martin is the response from those guitars. And that's what I want to get in mind is, is, is a response that is just, you know, you can play it soft. You can play it hard, uh, any, anywhere in between. And, and the guitar is going to do what you want. Mm-hmm. So I, that's kind of my goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. And, and, and yeah, I mean, from the three or four, I think at this point, guitars of yours that I've gotten to play, like that's, you've, you've definitely achieved that. Like they're always really responsive and, and just and versatile. Like you can kind of do, I mean that just like what you want out of an OM or like a GA size guitar, you get, you know, that full spectrum of sound and, and yeah, you do a great job with that. Good. So. Oh,
1: well, good. Yeah. good. That's what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of of sticking with traditional choices um, with Tonewoods, it seems like you kind of, yeah, you kind of stick with the classics. But I noticed on the one of the AJs that you uploaded, um, you used Hormiga or Ormiga maybe. Yeah. I've never heard of that one before.
1: Well, I was turned on to that by John Griffin. Do you know who John Griffin is? Um, I've never
0: met him personally, but yeah, his name comes up a lot.
1: Yes. He's the one who turned me on to it. Uh, he He was pretty mysterious at first here's a guy who really, really knows his wood. I mean, <laughs> wow. Well, he's, he sent me a piece of it. It's like, well, this is just too intriguing. You know, I've got to know more. Um, so he finally told me what it was, um, cause I couldn't, cause I couldn't figure it out, um, from, from the piece he had sent me. But anyway, I figured out what it was and, um, he thought it was the the next best thing to Brazilian rosewood. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really good wood. It's denser than mahogany. It kind of looks like mahogany. You know? yeah. I don't know if you've seen much of it. But it looks a little mahogany-esque, but it's much denser and oilier, but not nearly as dense or oily as, as Brazilian or any other rosewood. Okay, But, man, that that wood is uh, makes a really stunning guitar. It's got... A a beefy low end, but it's not as thuddy as you know, like Indian rosewood can be kind of thuddy in the low end, but Mm -hmm. um, well, not when I build a guitar, but um, (laughs) so it it doesn't tend toward that thuddiness like like um Indian rosewood does. Um, and the high end, it's got some pretty nice sizzle in the high end, but not as sizzly as as Brazil as say Brazilian rosewood is, but it has I would call it fruity sparkle in the high end. Mm you know, Mahaney is is pretty dry in the high end, which I like a lot. You know, it's, mm-hmm. the high end is very dry, um, but Ormigo, the the high end is 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 sparkly and and uh, like I said, fruity. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense, I don't know yeah. <laughs> if these uh, flavors convert over to sound, but it, it, sometimes in my mind it, it seems like they do. So
0: yeah yeah definitely okay. yeah and and just from you know it's always kind of hard to tell just from a video alone but like that video of rick ferris playing that guitar yeah it's it definitely has mm. yeah it tone descriptors are always so hard but it, yeah it has a really nice high end
1: when you do the the recordings the the build the building all this stuff I, i'm kind of in this little bubble here um i don't know if if it if i've made that clear or not but i live <laughs> out in the country so i'm you know 15 miles from from town uh live in the country i don't hardly have people coming out anymore like i used to i used to have people coming out a lot especially since the pandemic you know it's like i've been in this little bubble of of my own making and so it's really nice to hear oh that you know this comes out in the recording I'm, i'm glad to hear that because i can I can make it seem that way to myself, but I don't mm-hmm. know for sure if other people are seeing that or not. So great. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> yeah, but sticking with the tonewood conversation. So are there any other, I guess, maybe less common tonewoods that you've experimented much with? Or do you generally stick to the mahoganies and the rosewoods, et cetera?
1: Um, I like maple guitars. Yeah. Um, Maple guitars are underrated, I think. Definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I have had some... I've built some at least one Maple O M. So other other maple guitars and I really I really like Maple. And so that
0: that VJ that, is a maple guitar too that you listed, right.
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't even know how to describe sonically what you get with maple, but it's different and it's it's very pleasing. I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a dryness to it like mahogany but yet it has but the high end is is so clear Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how to describe it i need to play one again and refresh my memory of how it sounds
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well i feel like it can
0: vary a lot too like Like I kind of had before working, especially at at Teenag and Carter Vintage, like I kind of had like a pretty limited idea of what I thought maple guitar sounded like. But Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I mean, different body sizes, just the different top woods, like especially I feel like paired with like European spruce or Sitka, like it can sound really warm. It doesn't always sound just like, I guess, sort of transparent and, you know, really simple. Like it can still sound really, you know, not maybe not as complex as as Indian or Brazilian rosewood, but still has a nice complexity to it, which can
2: be... Yeah, yeah
0: there's it, it it's yeah, totally underrated. There's so much that one can do with it,
1: yeah. i I think I think you're right. there's there's um, some aspects of of maple where you can maybe do do some different things with it. maybe maybe it's just because it's not expected to to be a certain way. And so maybe mm-hmm. I have a little more flexible in my mind because of that. I don't know. but mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, yeah, so maple is one. I haven't really experimented with that much more, you know. The various rosewoods, you know, there's Amazon rosewood, which I I really enjoy. Amazon rosewood, mm. Brazilian rosewood, of course, is absolutely incredible. Indian rosewood can be, I think, Indian rosewood can be a really great wood if it's done right. Right. The problem is, it, it had been done wrong for, for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> in my in my humble uh, opinion
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah i think a lot of people are just sort of like oh i can already get an indian rosewood guitar from martin and whoever so they often don't ask luthiers for it but like yeah. but yeah luthier built indian rosewood guitar can be so good and for uh for topwoods it seems like everything that we have right now is it's all adirondack spruce are you pretty are you a strictly adirondack spruce guy or do you do you ever experiment much with like cedar redwood european uh, etc
1: i'm not interested in cedar or redwood i mean they're they are interesting woods, but to me, I, I, I've i never been fond of them in an instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, so Red Spruce, Sitka, of course, I've done some. Mm-hmm. I'm not as fond of it, but there's some Engelman that I have liked uh, that I've had. Um, they got from uh, the guys at Old Standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a batch of... Um, Engelman that was Jim who works at Jim Ruth who who works there told me that it was much stiffer than than your your basic run of the mill engelman I said oh well yeah let let me try some and I did and I, it was really cool wood it's a, it's a little bit creamier sand than mm. red the, red spruce redwood <laughs> um, than uh, than red spruce so that that's a top wood that I'm I have. Uh, I keep here for for certain things. I really like an Engelman topped mahogany OM.
2: It's mm-hmm.
1: a creamy, really really fun instrument to play. Oh, nice! Um, lots of lots of headroom still. Not as much as as red spruce, but really a nice. A really nice sound. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Well, what would be your what are your favorite guitars to to build, and what would you build for yourself? If I mean, assuming that you I feel like this is the common thing with a lot of luthiers is that they they'll build something for themselves, but then they inevitably sell it to someone else. So, what are your <laughs> what are your favorite guitars to build, and what would you build for yourself if um if you could keep one and could never sell it?
1: <laughs> okay. Well, um, I have built myself some instruments purposely. I built them for myself. Well, sort and you of. You have
0: not sold them.
1: Uh, yeah, I've I have a dreadnought. Nice. Uh, a mahogany dreadnought. It is number nine, I think. It doesn't matter. Um, it's an early guitar. I also have an OM that my wife claimed uh, when I when I finished it. I was actually sort of on building it, planning on building it for a cousin of mine who wanted a guitar, and I so I was kind of tentatively building this to Hoffer to him, but when I finished it, uh, she said, no, that's my guitar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So she has one. And then I built um, our kids. I built a single O 12 fret and a single O 14 fret for my kids. They both play a little a little bit around on guitar. But right now they're so busy they don't have time to play guitar. But mm-hmm. um, but they're 40, uh, uh, 42 style instruments. So they're a little flashy. Cool. So I have those. What else do I have? And I have a mandolin that I that I built mm-hmm. along with my... Hassle of banjos. (laughs) So if I was going to build, there's one, there's two instruments that I really like to build for myself. And one is like a J uh, style, you know, Mm -hmm. short scale uh, jumbo, like the J45. I -hmm. really love that guitar. I've played so many of those J45s. I put so many of them together. (laughs) Um, And whenever they're put back together they, they just blow me away and uh I just recently built one for a guy in in Nashville by the way and I'd really like to build myself one of those so J45 and I've also built one of those small you know the guitar like Dave Rawlings plays uh the little Epiphone arch oh style. yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah I built one of those for uh one of my clients I really like to build myself one of those I think that'd be fun for mm-hmm. jazzy kind of stuff or even mother Maybell type of stuff which yeah. is a little more my speed you know <laughs> i wish i could play jazz but i'm more of the mother Maybell style player
2: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> well that's awesome so yeah I, I thought i saw his mandolins on your website too so um yeah have you so have you gotten much into building mandolins and art shops Because so i feel like that is kind of its own like i don't want to say a step up but like kind of it's it presents a lot of its own challenges
1: I, I would say step up. I would say, <laughs> yeah, it's a step to the side, but also a step yeah. up as far as your level of detail and and craftsmanship. If you're building like an F five with with full binding and stuff, yeah. it is going to, the the intensive work that goes into that, and the people who who can do that regularly just blow me away because like i said it it's a step up it doing inlay is one thing but that kind of work is it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. so the the mandolin that i have that I, for myself the ones that i made for other people are fully bound and everything but the one that i have for myself is it's unbound so so there's none of the fancy stuff it's very it's very much my style um which is plain and simple you know I like i guess i'm kind of that I, I guess if if I'm building something for myself, I'm gonna make it fairly simple.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, with um, with so, so with your aesthetic choices, I I noticed on the back of your of some of your headstocks, you do like a little is it like a bluebell or what 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 is that little plant that's oh, on the back of some?
1: That is oh shoot, I can't remember the scientific name, but that is called a grayhead coneflower. Oh, okay, which, which is a, a a wildflower that grows around here. Uh, if you can if you can catch it in in uh, native prairies and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I are, are both <clears throat> really into um, native wildflowers and uh, stuff like that so we planted you know little areas here and there here and so those head coneflowers kind of tend to come out uh, you'll see them pop up you know by by the walkway somewhere and it's like oh there you are that's that's fun to see you there and yeah so so anyway, when I, when I was first starting building, I was kind of toying with the name of, of wildflower instruments or wildflower guitars or something like that, and so that's where the little drawing comes from. Okay, is a holdover from that. I, I kind of decided that I just wanted to go with my name rather than the, since I'm more traditional. You know, it is more traditional to have your name. <laughs> so, well, that's why I decided to go. So,
0: oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you delve much into, into like fancier inlays at all or kind of keeping with with your own personal style? Do you like to keep it more simple?
1: I guess on guitar, I think to me, it just looks, I like the more understated, like the, like the Martins from the, like the the, Mm thirties and the D45s, you know, it's, it's so, it's so understated, but it's extremely gorgeous. And that, Mm -hmm. that's what I love. Um, So but when I do banjos, you know, I just it's go all out, you know, sure, <laughs> in, inlay sure. every, every aspect, but, but once again, I mean, that's the tradition, you know, if you, um, if you've ever looked at many vintage banjos, I mean, the, the, the banjo inlay stuff is, is insane. Um, mm-hmm. Have you, have you paid much attention to that?
0: I'm not a big banjo person and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a bit more on the, I like the understated looks of things too. So when I do see banjos that I like, they're usually sort of the more stripped down, like yeah, open yeah. back kind of thing, but obviously like just having worked in the store for a while. Yeah. You see some pretty ornate banjos come through that are very, they got the bling.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: the very bling. yeah. The bling and the pling. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, but yeah. Uh, so on guitar, but if somebody wants some custom inlay like, <clears throat> excuse me I've done, uh, the one thing I really like to do is um, when somebody wants a custom inlay on the peghead to me that's that's really cool well any custom inlay is cool but I I really like the peghead because it's, it's this little open area that um, it's kind of, it doesn't distract from the rest of the guitar as much as you know when you when you do inlay up the fingerboard, then you're getting away from the music. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but um, not kidding. <laughs> kidding. You decide.
0: Yeah, um, to each their own.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I like doing I like doing fancy inlay, but I I like it when we keep it to the peghead or keep it you know fairly subdued. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so
0: what is one of your favorite inlays or maybe most? out there that you've done on the headstock is there anything that really really like you remember and you're like oh that one was crazy
1: i did a hummingbird one a few years ago i can't remember who that one was for the hummingbird one was pretty intense because yeah. a lot of tiny little pieces so that that was a really a really fun one uh, another one i that i really liked someone who who lived in Ireland at the time. And so I had to do all the inlay on the guitar, had to be um, able to go out of the country without being seized. Right. Uh, So so we used uh, a bunch of stone, colored stone and stuff like that, rather than any, any pearl. Uh, pearl or whatever mm-hmm. so that was really that was really fun in my too um, cool
0: yeah do you so uh, yeah i was gonna ask if, if you did most of your stuff with with pearl or if it was more like you incorporate recon stone or, or even just like other wood pieces and maybe dyed or not dyed
1: yeah all that stuff all, yeah. all that cool a lot of times i don't like to mix it as as much like if i do abalone like to keep mostly abalone or Mm-hmm. Of course, it depends on it depends on the piece, of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: no, that makes yeah that makes sense. One question I I had too was uh, do you do most of your work um, or are most of your guitars that you build commissions that you build for a specific person or do you work with many shops and and get things um, kind of on the sales floor?
1: When I was doing, I, I've kind of slowed down in these last couple of years, but before that, what I would tend to do would do be do a batch of like say six. Four to four to eight guitars, usually around six or so. Um, and most of those would be a, a custom thing. But it, if I was doing, say, well, say I had three guitars on order or, or three or four or whatever, I might decide, well, uh, if my mood was, well, I, I'd really like to build a, a J or I'd really like to build an AJ or and nobody's asked me for an OM for a long time, I'd like to just build one. Uh, I'd throw that in the batch mm-hmm. it's, in the way I do it. There's not really, um, it's not, it's not a factory type thing where, you know, you make all, all the neck blocks are the same and all the tail blocks are the same and all the, all this, that, that, and the others, every piece is different, but still when I set up to do tail blocks, or I set up to do neck blocks or set up to do neck joints or whatever, it's nice to, not just cut one and then put it away, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I do six or eight, then I feel like I'm, you know, I'm making more efficient use of my time. So gotcha. when I, so when, so when I would do that, when I was doing that, then I would have guitars to send, um, to, to music stores, you know, I sent, um, some guitars to Kim at Cotton when, when that store was going and mm-hmm. uh, sent some guitars to, uh, like at, at Mass Street Music. Anyway, I would have an extra few guitars to send off. But now I'm not really, now it's just more, um, I'm just doing it as they come. Mm-hmm. Whatever, that makes sense. Whatever. I'm not so much troubled by um, setting up to do just one or two, whatever the part may be, you know, one or two uh, binding routes or one or two, whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it's yeah. it's okay. I can, <laughs> I can deal with that inefficiency now. I, I'm not so.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, do you do pretty much everything in house, or do you, uh, in- including finishing, or do you have a, a finisher outside that you send your guitars to?
1: My finisher <coughs> lives in the garage, about oh, 60 feet east of me here, um, and he's and. Uh, I might seem like a little a grumpy old guy, but he is a really <laughs> grumpy old guy, because um, he's stuck out there in that that um, bar in which has houses my machine shop and garage and also the spray booth. So, um, so yeah, I I I do I do as much as I possibly can mm-hmm. on everything. It's not that I don't trust somebody else to do it. It's just that I feel a lot better. When I do it myself yeah. you know um I have I have a customer who who I do finish work for I do that's well I do finish an electronics for and for a long time he sent his guitars off to be finished he would get his guitars back from the finished guy and then I would have to spend several hours or whatever amount of time redoing the finish mm-hmm. on that and, and that's just something I don't want to have to deal with yeah. I don't want to have to you know, do a, a tiny touch up from somebody else. I'll, I'll just, if there's going to be a touch up, it's going to be my fault. So, <laughs> so there you go. I'm, yeah. I'm going to take care of. It. So yeah, I, I like just to do everything. Yeah, and, I guess I should have assumed life.
0: that based on the fact that you had said that you are, yeah, you're a, a DIY kind of person, and and you like to take everything in your own hands. And yeah, and yeah, it seems like that's finishes like the kind of the one thing that a lot of folks do have to send out for, but to be able to have that full control. I mean, I think everybody wants that. It's just, sometimes it's hard to outfit yourself for it, but that's, that's awesome that you can do that.
1: It is. And and I'm lucky because, because I have the room to do it Mm -hmm. and I don't have the um, here in Jefferson County, Kansas, we don't have environmental regulations for how much uh, VOCs I can put out. You know, nobody's going to come and measure the output on my spray booth fan on any. <laughs> you know, so I don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. I, I do such a small amount of stuff. I, I don't think it's a big deal. It kind of does bother me environmentally though.
2: Mm-hmm. A
1: little bit. Honestly, I'm i a, I'm a kind of an environmentalist, you know, and I'm, a, and so it, it, that bothers me a little bit. And so I try to keep things to a minimum as much as possible. So, no, yeah, but you know, thin finishes what we want anyway. So.
0: Right, yeah. Do you do uh, nitrocellulose or do you do something else?
1: It's nitro. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Yeah, um yeah, I guess the not having to worry about those regulations is kind of a blessing and a curse, but it's it's good that you're mindful of it anyways and um you just get to have that flexibility and you you don't have to worry about the government breathing down your neck too much. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to go through my questions really quickly to see if I missed anything. Oh, I wanted to ask about your your family music situation. So, all so your wife plays, you play, your kids all play. Do you guys um, do you guys play much together? Or do you, are you involved with the local music scene at all?
1: My wife and I play together um, occasionally. Uh, we used to play together a lot, oh. um, and we we actually met um, by we met through the banjo we were we we're both banjo players at local jams and stuff and
2: mm-hmm.
1: she's a great singer and i and i don't sing so um and she was willing to uh learn to play mandolin better than me and so uh we we can, we can play together some without without um having dueling banjos all the time <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, so there is a a pretty good l- local music scene but I, like I said I've kind of been um in my bubble these last few years so I I don't really know what's going on there but I need I need to get back into it I want to get back into it cuz I really enjoy and I miss performing mm-hmm. um it's uh it's really uh it's kind of another aspect of what I like to do that I, that I haven't gotten to do for a while and I really miss it so yeah I gotta get back into it
0: yeah, for sure. Do you guys have any music available online?
1: The band the bluegrass band that I used to play in may have some videos or or stuff online. I'm not sure. I can send you a CD if you want. Yeah, I'd love that. You <laughs> interested? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. I I will. Okay.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I can send you one of mine too so it can be a, a fair swap. <laughs>
1: awesome. That, that's great. I I was really enjoying your playing by the way from from cuz I watched some of the videos. Oh, thank before you. We gonna do this so that I would can I get you know tuned in <laughs> on. and I, I really enjoy your playing. It's very, very tasteful and thoughtful playing. It's very nice.
0: oh, thank you. I appreciate that yeah. what what's next for you? Are you doing any shows or anything this year or just kind of plugging away at building guitars and trying to get back out there playing music?
1: I'm not sure about shows. i the the one show that I have gone to several times is IBM because um, I'm You know, bluegrass is my first love. So Mm -hmm. the international bluegrass thing is is, uh, I really enjoyed that when I went and uh, having a booth there was really fun. So I might go back there sometime. I don't know. Or I might go just go back as as a, you know, a regular person and not have a booth. Um, The Folk Alliance. um, Oh, yeah, you're
0: right by Folk Alliance.
1: Yeah, the usual one. Yeah, Yeah, the big one. And um, so I might, I might go over there again sometime. Mm -hmm. I I really love meeting the people. And, you know, when you go to the, you know, at the international bluegrass thing and at the Folk Alliance thing, because you meet people, not just from the U S from all over the U S, which is great, but people from all over. I've met some great friends from Ireland, from England, Um, Australia, you know, it's Mm -hmm. so fun. I just really enjoy that. I I love the seeing all those different cultures and stuff just walking around together. It's really great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And folk alliance is so cool because it's it, I mean, folk is such a broad term at this point, but yeah, there's so many different styles of music that are involved Mm -hmm. with that. So whatever you might want, as long as it's like generally kind of acoustic, like it's gonna be there. And so it's Yeah. yeah, really, really fun to go to those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. I, I love the last time I went, um, you know, I spent however much time in the booth during the day. And then at night, you know, I just got lost in <laughs> all the amazing music that was going on. In yeah. there. It was so incredible. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm surprised that more luthiers don't do things like that. Like I think, I think it was John Slobod who was talking about going to Swan and Noah and how, you know, they're obviously there are the guitar shows, but you want, you know, you, it's, it's good to go to those music centered things too. And, and and there are usually like a few folks who are exhibiting their instruments, but like, that's such a great place to go and connect with players and get your hands yeah. or get, get your instruments into their hands. So yeah. 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 That's a good thing to do for sure.
2: Yeah,
1: for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, Leo, I think I am out of questions and this has been so nice to chat with you and, and I'm excited to, Hopefully get some more of your guitars sold and, and get to have some more come through the shop. And uh, and yeah, I, I, I've got nothing else, but this has been great to, to connect with you.
1: Okay, great. This is really fun. I, yeah. I have a great little time telling my tale.
2: Yeah.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. In addition to the two pre-owned posh guitars we have in the shop now, Leo has several from workshop listings for guitars that you can order directly from him, including an advanced jumbo model featuring Ormigo, that beautiful Brazilian rosewood-like tonewood that we discussed, as well as a 13 fret mahogany double-o and an Indian rosewood AJ, all with red spruce tops. If you are enjoying these luthier interviews, please take a second to rate and review Talking Guitar on your podcast app, or give us a thumbs up on YouTube. It really does help and I'd love to hear your feedback. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The North American Guitar. And as always, please come back next week for the latest episode.